0: Everyone, Welcome to Refuge Fellowship. It's just great to be with you again this week. I, uh, I'm real excited to share this message with you this week. It's just been an amazing time studying it this week. I just hope that uh, the Holy Spirit blesses you. Before we get into the message, though, I just want to, again, as I remind you every week, I just ask that if you have any prayer requests... If you have any testimony or praises about what God is doing in your life, please message us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to give praises to our Lord with you. I just, you know, I really hope to hear from you. I'd love to pray for you. Also, a reminder that we still have a lot of different Bible studies and groups going on during the week. So if you're looking for other ways to fellowship and to stay in fellowship and stay in God's word, please message us. We'd love to give you more information on that. So I just thank you, Alyssa, for praying for us. Um, It's just, you know, this week has been, I think it's been difficult for a lot of people as we've seen the restrictions extended. We've also uh, seen lately that international flights now might still be several months away. So it's so important for us to stay in fellowship, to stay in God's word, and just to really cling to God, to abide in him in times like this. Because I know it's difficult, So I just, I I please, if you have any prayer requests, let us know. We'd love to pray with you. If everyone's got your Bibles, you're going to need them. We're going to be in the God's Word today. And I hope many of you were with us last week. If you remember, we were studying through Matthew chapter 27. If you can just think back and remember that we had studied about Jesus' three trials. Jesus' three trials before Pilate, before the Roman authorities. Remember back how that took what took place there? We we remember and we learn that Jesus was before Pilate and Pilate he knew he knew that Jesus was innocent. And he he even had his wife come and had a she had a vision or a dream and brought that even before Pilate. So he was warned by that. But yet as we remember the story from last week, that Pilate he knew these things, but he chose to have Jesus crucified Still, knowing this, Pilate chose to cave in, cave into the world worldly pressures or desires. He didn't stand with Jesus or declare him innocent, even though he knew this. Pilate, he chose. He chose to follow the ways of the world, therefore, refusing Jesus. We all have the same choice. To choose Jesus or to choose the world. We alone, each of us, have to make that decision. We are responsible for the choice that we make. To choose to follow Jesus or to choose to follow the world. Now, I hope everyone here listening today has chosen to follow Jesus. But maybe there's some of you out there that, you're like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Or you're not sure, you just, you don't know for sure or you're not confident if you're a Christian or that you're born again. If you have questions like this of what it is to be a Christian or what it is to follow Jesus or you have questions about your salvation, please text me. Get a hold of me. I'd love to sit down with you and talk to you and explain to you what it is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you got your Bibles, before we get into Luke today, I want to look at Psalm 22 because everything that is taking place to Jesus, everything that's taking place as we're reading it in the Gospels was already prophesied about. So I want to look at that real quick. If you've got your Bibles, turn back to the Psalm 22. And as you turn there, it's interesting. I just read this Psalm the other day in my daily Bible reading. And we read the first part of this last week, but this week I want to read the remaining part in verses 11 through 18. Do not stay so far from me, for trouble is near, and no one else can help me. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls, fierce bulls of bashan. They've hemmed me in like lions. They open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue... Sticks to the roof of my mouth. You've laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Again, remember as we study today, everything that is taking place as we're reading about here in Luke, was already prophesied about it. It was already part of the plan. So just remember that. Remember Jesus as he's being sentenced to die by crucifixion. As he is turned over to the soldiers to carry Pilate's orders out. This was all part of God's plan. So let's turn to Luke. Everybody in Luke chapter 23. We're going to start by looking at the first few verses. 26 and 27. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd trailed behind, including many grief-stricken women. Such an interesting detail as we get into this text. As Jesus is now facing the sentence of crucifixion, we see this this man, this man that was clear from maybe the northern coast of Africa, maybe like 800 miles away I'm not sure if he had just traveled there, or he'd been there for a while, but here he's mentioned in the Bible. Very possibly he'd came to Jerusalem with his family maybe a once-in-a-lifetime trip on a pilgrimage. I'm sure he was a Jewish man, and I'm sure he was there to observe Passover. You know, throughout the Bible we do see lots of Jewish people from this area, this Cyrene. In fact, if you look in Acts, you could see that During Pentecost, even, there was people present there, that were present during this, that heard their native language spoken during Pentecost. They seen the gifted tongues. Uh, If you read also in Acts, you can see, unfortunately, there was people from Cyrene present during the stoning of Stephen. But yet this Simon, this serene man here, this is the only time that we really see him mentioned. But We do hear about his sons later on. We see them mentioned both in the book of Mark and also in Romans. So it's apparent by reading this and looking into us that his sons, they they knew these. They were obviously Christians because Paul even writes writes a greeting to them at the end of Romans. Now look back at the passage. I'm sure that as you see this, what has happened here, that, that this cross, Jesus no longer could bear it. When you think about this, I'm sure Jesus had become very weak. He'd been beaten by the Jewish leaders and then whipped by the Romans up to 40 lashes. He'd become so physically weak that he was unable to carry the cross at this point. You know, and the Romans, this was a big deal to them because this carrying of the cross was a sign of their guilt. Now Jesus had become so weak. He couldn't carry his cross. And I'm sure, you know, you think about it. The Roman soldiers, they weren't going to carry Jesus' cross. So they just looked out and they grabbed someone out of the crowd to carry this cross. It's so interesting. This man who was at Passover, surely to offer sacrifices to God for his family at the temple. This random man from miles, eight hundred miles away, ends up carrying Jesus' cross. You know, I'm sure this is just, you think about this, this is probably one very amazing testimony. I mean, you think about how this happened, how his family was called to faith. First, from the father being, the Simon being called to carry this cross, all the way now to later, as you look through the books of Acts, to his sons being mentioned in three different books in the Bible. This was a crazy circumstance, right? An amazing testimony of how this family came to know Jesus. From this, again, this man being forced to carry the cross for Jesus, to again, all these sons coming and his family coming to know Jesus. It's just amazing. It just blows my mind to think about it. It's so, how Jesus, this is how Jesus works so often. He takes a circumstance that we would consider horrible, a horrible situation. Yeah, He'll use this, and he uses this situation to provide it an opportunity that we could be saved from our sins. He'll use a horrible situation that we don't understand, and out of it can come the greatest gift of all, our salvation. Let's get back to the text here. Do you notice though, look at verse 28 before we, or 27 before we move on. You see, there was this large crowd and had many grief stricken women. You know, as we we see this, there's all this crowd. It was like a parade of people following Jesus to Calvary to see these criminals placed on the cross. I just, I think about this, I couldn't even imagine. Wanted to see this happen, wanted to witness this taking place. It makes me even sick to think about it. But apparently there's a lot of people that were present following this Roman the Romans taking these these people to the cross. But these women that are speaking of here, these are different women. This isn't Mary Jesus' mother or Mary Magdalene. These were other followers of Jesus. So let's continue. Let's look at verses twenty eight through thirty-one. But Jesus turned to them and said to them. Daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For the days are coming when they will say, Fortunate indeed are the women who are childless, the wombs that have not bore a child, and the breasts that have never nursed. People will beg the mountains, fall on us, and plead with the hills, bury us. For if these things are done when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? As I read this, I looked up some different, uh, I read it, In different translations. And the words here you use is weeping. But in other Bible translations it's mourning or lamenting. And it's referring to these women's reaction to what was taking place with Jesus. He had been beaten so badly physically that he was unable to carry the Christ. Yet he was still walking to Calvary to face still the crucifixion. Yet as he's doing this, we read here that Jesus he had... He turns, he turns back to these women in compassion. This was probably one of the, basically maybe Jesus' last teaching before the cross. And he uses it, and he uses this opportunity as he's facing crucifixion to turn back and speak to these women who were weeping. These women that were hurting, they were grieving. Yet Jesus turns back in compassion and says, don't weep for me. Jesus says this because he knows, he knew what was going to take place to these women and the Jewish people and their families. Jesus knew that just in like 30 years that the Jewish people would face persecution at the hands of the Romans, that's just unmanageable. So much so, as Jesus was saying here, that the women, they would feel blessed that they were barren. They would feel this way so that way they wouldn't have to see and watch their children endure the torture by the hands of the Romans. It was going to get so bad for these women, they would beg to be killed over the suffering that they were going to face. Jesus was knowing this, knowing what these women were going to face, and grieving and speaking to them as himself was walking to be crucified. You know, as I think about this and the compassion that Jesus had for these women, this is this is Jesus. This is who I've placed my own faith in. This is the one who has grieved for me, grieved for these women as he faced his own crucifixion. This is the God that I have placed my faith in, the one that says, don't worry about what I've done for you, but instead weep, Weep for the sins of the world and their consequences. It's amazing. Look at this in this proverb in verse 31. It's kind of an interesting proverb. And I, you know, I, when I read it, I kind of, I wasn't sure what it meant. So what I did is I looked it up on a commentary to try to understand it. And I'd like to read what I read in the commentary for you and just see what you think about it. It says, the proverb means, if such sufferings alight upon the innocent one, the very Lamb of God, what must be in store for those who are provoking the flames? Just think about that. What he's saying is, if this is how the world will treat Jesus, who is innocent, blameless, sinless, holy, how about how the world is going to treat those who are not innocent? Just think about that. Ponder that. Let's continue, though. Verse 32. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus, he's placed here between two guilty men, his hands and feet nailed to the cross. these nails driven through his flesh and his bones. You know, Jesus, he knew this was going to happen. In fact, he had actually spoken about this very moment to the disciples. You remember when? Let's turn back to Mark. Let's look at Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said... We want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Wow, it's just amazing how Jesus, he knew this. This this moment that he's facing right now on the cross, he'd warned his disciples, he'd prophesied about it. Jesus was fulfilling God's will, and Jesus was in the midst of enduring the worst physical pain, emotional pain, the, the worst torture known at the time. Yet he knows even soon he will face even worse pain, the spiritual pain, the pain of having the world's sins placed upon him and that pain of being separated from God, from the Father. Let's continue. Let's let's see what Jesus' reaction to all of this taking place around him as he faces this torment. Let's see his reaction in verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they... Don't know what they are doing, and the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. We're going to go to John several times here next. Uh, John gives a little more detail in some of the verses that uh, are in Luke here, so I want to take a minute, and we're going to several times we're going to do this. We're going to turn to John chapter nineteen, John chapter nineteen, verse twenty three. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So this is what they did. You know, turn back to Luke, but think about this. All this is transpiring, all this is going on. What is Jesus' reaction? What did he do in the midst of all this torture? He prays for them. He prays for the souls of the very people who were tormenting him. He prays for the ones who have beaten him, the one who that have humiliated him. He prays for the ones that their sins would be placed upon him, the ones that would separate, their sins would separate him from the Father. Jesus truly lives out an example for us an example of what it is to be a christian he shows us love in action just think about this what is your reaction to jesus after reading this act of love turn to corinthians first corinthians first corinthians chapter 4 verse 10 our dedication to christ makes us look like fools but you claim to be so wise in christ we are weak But you are so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty, and we don't have enough clothes to keep us warm. We are so often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those that curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage. Like everyone's trash, right up to the present moment. You know, as I read this, it just, it's sobering to me to think about, really, what Jesus has done for us, and what's our reaction to what Jesus has done for us. What's our reaction to what he endured? Let's see, you know, as we think about that, I want to look at the people's reaction. So turn back to Luke chapter 23, and we're going to see that in verses 35. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself. If he is really God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. Up to this point, the soldiers had been busy gambling. But now... The crowd is getting louder, and they're beginning to really speak up. This crowd, they're mocking Jesus. But how are they mocking Jesus exactly? Do you see that in the passages? They're telling him to save himself if he is really the Messiah. Think about that. It was Jesus who allowed himself to be placed on the cross. It was Jesus who's allowing himself to be crucified in order to pay the price of our sins. Think about that. And yet they're they're telling him to save himself. They were challenging Jesus to save himself, and yet he was on the cross to save them from their sins. Then the soldiers, they begin to mock Jesus also, lifting up a toast of their cheap wine while they drank to pass time as they waited for this crucifixion to kill Jesus and the other two. Look again at these verses. Look at verse 38. It talks about the sign. A sign was fastened. And again, I want to turn to John because he gives a little more detail on this. John chapter 19. Verse 19. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So many people could read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to pilate change it from the king of the jews to he said i am the king of the jews pilate replied no what i have written i have written these signs on the crosses it was common it was a common act of the, of the romans in fact they were not these signs were not just placed on the cross but also around a string around the people that were walking to their crucifixion as they walked to their crucifixion, they'd have this sign, they would hang on their chest, and on the sign would be printed, of their crime, what they'd been found guilty of, what had led them to be crucified, but now Jesus' sign, it says king of the Jews, he wasn't guilty of anything, but it's just interesting, how this sign, Jesus' sign was different, and Pilate, he knew, but he chose to follow the world, so let's see, look back to Luke chapter 23, and let's see, Let's talk about these criminals. These other two men that are one on the left and one on the right of Jesus. Let's see what their response is. Look at verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you are the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. We see this man's reaction to Jesus. A truly, a worldly response. But let's see, there's there's another reaction. Let's see the other man's response. Verse 40. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. A very, very different reaction to Jesus. These two men, these two criminals, they paint a picture in my mind that still, I believe, holds true today, even as it did then. Both these men, guilty. But, as we see, two very different outcomes in the end. One, Vince's anger, mocking Jesus, asking Jesus, prove yourself, and also requesting that Jesus do something for him. Then the other, he, very different reaction. He actually has a fear or a reverence for God. And he admits he's a sinner. And he even admits that he's getting what he had come, coming for his sins, which was death. This man, then he turns to Jesus and he admits he's a sinner. And he pleads with Jesus. He says, please remember me before God. We just heard the good news. We just heard the gospel, and this man just received it. Turn to Hebrews. Get your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. A lot of passages today. Verse 26. He is the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and been given the highest place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for the people's sins. The law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. But after the law was given, God appointed his son with an oath. And his son has made perfect high priest forever. Praise the Lord. Just amazing. The gospel is that we are, through the gospel, we know we are sinners. But we know that Jesus, he was given for the penalty of our sins. We know that Jesus paid for our sins. He made it possible for us, just as this criminal on the cross, this guilty criminal To come into the kingdom. Turn back to Luke. Look again at that verse. Look at verse 43. I assure you today. You will be with me. In paradise. It's just amazing. What a beautiful. Beautiful promise I see here. What a beautiful promise. Let's continue. Look at verses 44 through 46. By this time. It was about noon. And darkness fell across the whole land. Until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. There's a, we're going to get into a lot of different things. I, I don't want to spend too much time in all of it, but I want to look at one thing, a few things. But one interesting fact as you look at this, I don't know how many of you know that Passover always falls on a full moon. And also, when you think about this, I don't know if you know this, I didn't really know this before, that, you know, a solar eclipse, when it happens, it happens when the moon passes in front of the sun, right? But did you know that an eclipse can't happen when it's a full moon? And it was a full moon on Passover. So this darkness was not caused by an eclipse. This was a supernatural occurrence, Now, why would I mention this? I mention it because I always read this, and I just assumed that it was a solar eclipse that had had caused this darkness. I I, I come up with an explanation in my mind for how this darkness could have taken place. It's a huge mistake on my part. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the church and a lot of Christians, sometimes we try to justify Scripture with worldly knowledge. This is backwards thinking. It's God's word that is true and absolute truth. And science may or may not agree, but we don't need to justify through science what God's word says. I mean, when the Bible says in Genesis that creation happened in six days, we can take this as an absolute truth. And, you know, maybe science will or will not catch up someday, but God's word still is true. When... We shouldn't try to justify or explain God's word through the lens of human understanding or human knowledge. When the Bible said that Jonah was swallowed by a fish and spit out three days later, that's what happened, and that's how it happened. We don't need to try to explain how this could have taken place. We don't need to try to justify how the creator of everything known in existence could have done this. Look back at verses 44 through 46. Because there's some details in here as we look at that. But I want to look to John again. Because there's some more details in John that I want us to read. So turn to John again. John chapter 19, verse 31. There's some more details here. It was a day of preparation. And the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath. And a very special Sabbath, because it was Passover. So they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by ordering that their legs be broken. Then their bodies could be taken down. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with his spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may continue to believe. These things happen in fulfillment of the Scripture, saying, "Not one of his bones will be broken." And they will look on the one they pierced. You know, I, again, there's there's so many things there we could get into and discuss and have Bible studies on, and all these different amazing prophecies that were fulfilled here. I really just want to look at one that was mentioned in Luke, if you turn back there, about the curtain being torn from the top. And as I you know, I think about that and how that is tearing that wall down, that Jesus now is becoming that bridge to us and God. I was reading a lot about this, and I'd like to just share how Warren Worsby describes this. He says, This miracle announced to the priest and the people that the way into God's presence was open for all who would come to him by faith through Jesus Christ. No more do sinners need earthly temples, altars, sacrifices, or priests. For all had now been fulfilled in the finished work of the Son of God. Just amazing to think about this. And we just need to give Jesus just thanks. He now has given us direct access to the Father through his death on the cross. So if you're not back in Luke, turn back to Luke. We're going to look at the last few verses, verses 47 through 49. When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, Surely this man was innocent. And when the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, Stood at a distance watching. Think about this Roman officer. I'm sure he had led hundreds of crucifixions. But this day, he saw something different. He saw Jesus. You know, just as Pilate knew something was different about Jesus, just as Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. This Roman officer at the crucifixion saw something of Jesus. He knew Jesus was righteous. You look at the text, he saw that this so much in a way that he turned and he worshiped Jesus. As you read through, you can see that many of them had deep sorrow. But as you read that, I don't see any other conversions. I don't see how any of these other people came to worship Jesus. You know, it makes me think of a point that we need to understand. Feeling and knowing something is true is much different than putting your faith in and surrendering to Jesus. This Roman soldier came to faith in Jesus. As we look at this story today, this truth of Jesus and the crucifixion, I think that we must remember, and we can never forget, that Jesus in, this, in his death had complete control it was Jesus who gave his life for us. Nobody took Jesus' life. He laid it down himself so each of us could have our sins forgiven. As we read this and read about the beatings and the whippings and the crucifixion, I know some people, this, could be, this is very saddening. But through this all, I saw a heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Just think of this as he walked through this. He was one that prayed to God to show mercy and grace upon the very ones who had beat him, humiliated him, the very ones who drove the hands to his hands and feet. I don't, you know, you think about it. I don't know any other religion or God that would love me like this. That would give His life for me as I sinned against Him. You know, as we close, I just really want to read some passages. I think that. God's word here is just it does does best at closing us up. If you got your Bibles, just turn. We're going to turn to Isaiah chapter fifty three. I want to read a little bit of out of Isaiah first. Isaiah fifty three verses four through six. Please just meditate on these verses as I read them. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down, and we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment. For his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, he was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid upon him the sins of us all. I also read in the same chapter, verses 10 through 12. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted as righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. I want to read another section of scripture. Please turn to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at the first 4 verses. Therefore, we've been surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily rip, trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross disregarding its shame now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people then you won't become weary and give up after all you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin this week i just pray that each of us would just reflect back on who jesus is we know he laid down our life for us he allowed himself to be crucified allowed our sins to be placed upon him but i think as we read these passages we see so much more about the character of our lord and savior We see as he was being marched by the Romans to his death by crucifixion. His thoughts were on the women behind him that were grieving. His heart was to give them comfort, to teach them, to speak to them, even as he faced his own crucifixion. Then, as he was placed on the cross, the nails driven through his hands and feet, near death having the sins of the world placed on him, he prays to God for those that had done this to him. He prays to God for grace and mercy for them. This is the God we serve, God that loves us so dearly that puts our needs in front of his own life, the one that gave his life for us. It's just amazing to me to think about that, to ponder that. So I just pray that we would just thank the Lord Jesus Christ this, this week for what he's done for us. And as we see Jesus, as I tell this message, love in action. His love for us was backed up by his actions. May we live a life as Jesus did. May our love for him and others be backed up by our actions. Hopefully not to endure as much as Jesus did for each of us but to remember what he did endure for each of us as we go out throughout our week. We're going to close with a little worship. I just thank you so much for joining us here at Refuge Online. Again, if you have any prayer request, please send us a text. If you have any praises about what Jesus is doing in your life, please let us know so we can be praying for you and celebrating what Jesus is doing. Also, as I mentioned earlier, if you don't know what it is to be a follower of Jesus, please let me know. I'd love to talk and sit down with you and discuss that, what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. God bless you all. It was great being with you this week. We love you and miss you all. Thank you so much for joining us here at Refuge.